All right. It's been a big day. It's been a long day. So, hey, folks. Welcome back to the Culture Jack Podcast. I think I have called this podcast the Podcast no less than half a dozen half a dozen times. I don't know why I do it. I don't know what the appeal for me in calling it something that it isn't. Maybe if the designers, if the forebearers of this internet digital radio show uh, entire the entire genre the the entire kitten caboodle if they could just go back in time and rename it something else anything else podcast podcast culture jacked podcast that's the problem the problem is not with the name of the medium the problem is with the name of this podcast it's culture jacked you know i have other 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 naming <laughs> other naming intentions for this podcast that I've had for a long time, but because Anthony, it just wants to rain on my parade all the time. He has not allowed it. This is the Friday show. Welcome back to the Friday show here on the culture jacked podcast. I'm your host. My name is Dustin. Uh, I've, I've, I've said, it's nice to meet you the last several times for the podcast. So I won't say it. I won't say it again today on the podcast. We are going to be talking about the tragic death of Helena Hutchins, by the hand of Alec Baldwin on the set of Rust. I know Anthony mentioned it on the Weekend Wire this last Sunday, so if you didn't didn't check out his episode, be sure to give that a listen after this one. But I wanted to go into a little bit more detail about it, and I wanted to talk not just specifically about that incident on that Hollywood set, but I wanted to talk about uh, other incidents, other tragic and unfortunate incidents, some that have striking similarities to the event that happened a couple weeks ago uh, there on the set of Rust. Uh, but before I get into that, because that's kind of a heavy, kind of a heavy topic. So I'm going to I'm going to start and I'm going to end with some some trailers. If you are new to the Friday show. If you are new to the Culture Jack podcast, welcome. And for those longtime listeners, just you know, sit back and relax for a moment. I'll be through with my <laughs> with my storied history of Culture Jack here in just a moment. We have several shows on this podcast. If you're unfamiliar, we've got this show, the Friday show, where I talk about a a subject or a topic that really has infested my brain for the week. And then uh, tomorrow on Saturday, we have a semi-regular show that we put up on the podcast called On Today's Episode or the OTE. And that's basically a review and recap show where we talk about different theories and and talk about, you know, what went on in a show that we're watching or a movie that we just watched. I've recently done some reconstructing in my mind about how that show needs to be laid out in that if it's a if it's a ongoing show that I'm interested in and interested in reminiscing and sharing with you, I will go episode by episode. But if it, if it is a show that is dumped onto Netflix in bulk in mass, I will do a season review. If it is a show that has passed, it has since been canceled or otherwise ended. Well, then I will uh, I'll give you a whole series review. And that's how I'm going to move forward with it. And then if it's a movie, it'll just be, well, it'll just be the movie. And tomorrow 
I review and talk about the movie Dune. So it was an amazing movie. I, if just to give you a spoiler for the episode tomorrow, I am absolutely beside myself about this movie. I think it is a complete and utter masterpiece. And if you have not seen it, go see it in the theaters before checking it out on streaming on HBO Max. It's so, so good. But I'll tell you all about that tomorrow. So stay tuned for on today's episode on Saturday. Then on Sunday, we've got the Weekend Wire with Anthony, uh, where he at least broke to the Culture Jacked audience this news about the shooting uh, down there on the set of Rust by Alec Baldwin. Um, He talks about movie news. He talks about television news. He talks about things that go on in the entertainment industry that might be of interest to himself and to you, the listener. Then on Monday, he's got a show like this Monday Madness where he talks about whatever the hell he wants to talk about. It's his show. Get off his back about it. Leave him alone. He's he's worked really hard to to have that kind of freedom and creative expression behind him on a radio internet broadcast that this is. And then on Thursday, we've got the Culture Jack News Desk that I host as well. And I talk about video game news. I talk about the video game industry and all that all that that entails. Had a great episode yesterday. It was really good. You should listen to that as well. I mean, you're, you're probably listening to all of them. This is just the most recent one. And so here, here you are. Uh, that's, that's, I think my, yeah, that's a good, that's a good solid couple minutes of advertising my own podcast, but you're not here to listen to me say the same thing that I say every week. You're here to listen to me. Why are you here? What are you doing? You've got homework. You're up too late. Jeez Louise, you've got to work tomorrow. Those kids need to get to bed. What are you doing? (laughs) You have other responsibilities besides to me, though I appreciate you honoring your commitments that you made made to me and and to Anthony. We we do appreciate you showing up. Uh, No, you're here to talk. Uh, Well, you're not here. You're here to listen. (laughs) Shut up, sit down and listen. This is going off the rails and it's going off the rails quick. Okay, a couple trailers before we get into this Alec Baldwin stuff. I did see we had a a new trailer that was dropped for Cowboy Bebop, the live action adaptation on Netflix. Looks absolutely amazing. Uh, I I don't think I've seen too many criticisms of it. One that Faye Valentine's um, Faye Valentine's look was not exactly that of her anime counterparts. And how could it be? I mean, if you want to talk about unrealistic body expectations, try making real people into anime characters. Obviously, uh, uh, Spike Spiegel should be eight feet tall and super, super skinny as a stick as well. No, I think all of the actors that were cast were casted uh, amazingly. Uh, Wonderful representations of the characters. They got their attitudes, their interplay, their conversation just just right. Just the way that it was in the show, but with, you know, enough of a twist to make it new and interesting. I still cannot wait to see Ed to see how they do him or her. I mean, if androgyny had a name, it would be it would be Ed. And we did see Ayn already, but that's just a dog. So (laughs) a dog's pretty easy to represent faithfully. Uh, in a live action uh, thing, but no, it was it was very good. They had a uh, little dispute between the the main characters, the bounty hunters, and I don't know. The effects look a little bit they look a little bit cheesy, but they work. They work, man. Um, super excited for the Cowboy Bebop show that comes out in a couple weeks, I believe, here on or about the seventeenth. 
or it should. Then we got another trailer from Netflix. I mean, I guess very heavy Netflix trailer bookmarks for this particular episode. We got a trailer for Super Crooks, and it was interesting how they did the the trailer. It's an anime. Surprise, surprise. I mean, maybe not surprise to anyone who's been following that. And we've probably mentioned it here on the podcast that it was going to be an anime as well. But I believe Super Crooks is one of the ones that is part of Millar World with uh, what was that other one that was canceled? The Legacy, the Just, I God, I can't even remember it already. It was about the superheroes from the 1920s during the Depression. They found the island. They got superpowers. Dude had voices in his head. Uh, Jupiter's Legacy. It was a legacy thing. So Jupiter's Legacy, I think that is in the same universe as the Super Crooks. But the thing about this trailer, it was an anime trailer completely in the original Japanese uh, dub over with English subtitles, which I haven't seen before. Typically, if they're bringing an anime to Netflix, they're going to use the English dubs for the trailer, especially in this region. You would think in the U.S. region of Netflix, they would use the English dub with, uh, well, n- no subtitles. They just use the English dub. So that was kind of interesting to me. But this one looks absolutely bonkers, looks super cool, super amazing. I am an animation fiend when it comes to my anime. Uh, You know, it could have a good story. That's great. It could have awesome characters. Sure, whatever. But if it if it does not have like top notch anime at the very least for the fight scenes, you know, where I'm not going more than two or three episodes without getting some real fluid, real uh, heavily funded animation sequences, then I'm not interested. But if it's got that good in animation, I'll buy in and super crooks. I have way bought in. it, I don't know. I don't even know what the plot is. I'm not going to even guess. I'm going to go in and I'm going to go in and be surprised by this one. Okay. A lot of fun stuff. Kind of get a little more serious, somber down, you know, game face on uh, a woman just passed. Alec Baldwin, if you haven't heard, like I said, Anthony covered it on Weekend Wire, but Alec Baldwin on the set of his new movie, Rust, where he is both starring in and an executive producer. I don't know if he's the star, but he's acting in it as well. Uh, He fired a prop gun that was, uh, for whatever reason, malfunctioned. It was loaded with the the wrong ammunition. Uh, It it shot at the camera, went through the camera into uh, the chest of the, the primary cinematographer, Helena Hutchins, and then into uh, the, what is he? The assist, the director, Joel Souza. I believe it's the director because the assistant director, Dave Halls, he, we've got some stuff to talk about here uh, about this particular event. So there, there was a real confusion uh, going on last week. This, well, this last week, I guess it's, it marks a week uh, from the, from the event today or yesterday. And so there's been a lot of updates regarding this situation. And so last week they were talking about a live round made it into this prop gun. And by a live round, a lot of people were saying, well, that could, that could mean a, a blank because they use, they use three kinds of rounds in these, in these guns. They use dummy rounds that have been completely deactivated. They use, um, blank rounds where they still have uh, a, a primer, but no, no bullet 
Uh, so they make a, a loud flashbang and they give the muzzle muzzle flash to give the uh, appearance of a shot being being made. So uh, what, are, what did I say? Dummy rounds, blank rounds, and then there's live rounds as well, which meet all of the qualifications of a real live bullet because they are one, right? They've got the, the primer, they've got the powder, they've got the casing, and they've got the bullet. And so when they were saying a live round was used in this prop gun, uh, where it was supposed to be a dummy gun, like this thing was not supposed to be loaded at all, or it was supposed to be loaded with dummies. I guess the dummies are used for like someone loading a gun, so it looks like they're looks like they're loading it. Um, but it wasn't it wasn't supposed to be a blank round even even there. And this gun was handed to Alec Baldwin and the assistant director, Dave Halls said cold gun, which indicates a gun that is not hazardous to any of the cast or crew on the set. Alec Baldwin was setting up for the shot and he was showing what he would do with the gun. Apparently the scene required him to point it at the camera. They moved the camera slightly because of a shadow. And while he was practicing, showing them what the, what he was going to do or running through uh, the scene, the gun went off and then uh, fatally, uh, of course, wounded Helena. Uh, so there have been other reports that the crew during a break, since they were all down in New Mexico hanging out, they thought they do some what is known in the industry as plinking, where they not only uh, were using the prop guns, but they had brought along with them live ammunition, like real bullets. So in between in between shots, in between takes, they were out back, whatever, you know, out back entails, uh, shooting uh, beer cans with these live guns, uh, allegedly, allegedly. This is, this is all rumor and hearsay, and it will probably continue to be so until the investigation's completed, until the court documents say otherwise. But they were using these prop guns for live ammunition target practice, essentially. There, there was, to all that we know right now, a live round that was fired. That was not a blank, but maybe a residual round that was left in one of these prop guns. We also know that the armorer, Hannah Gutierrez, who is, I guess she's the daughter of a famous armorer in uh, California, in, in Hollywood, that, and the armorer's job is to make sure that the prop guns are used with the type of ammunition need, needed to be used for that scene and to make sure that everyone is safe in the handling of these guns. And these guns should be transported from a safe uh, and then be inspected and set up by the armorer. And then they should be inspected once again by the assistant director, in this case, David Halls. Uh, or Dave, Dave, is it Halls or Hollis? Dave Halls. And so... Uh, this is a little background on on me, if you wanted it or not. I used to have a career in the safety field. I was a safety spe specialist in a uh, catering hotel maintenance um, uh, remote camp oil field situation. And one of the things that I can tell you is that oftentimes when an incident occurs, it's not just one thing that went wrong. Uh, we in the in the safety field oftentimes refer to it as a Swiss cheese model where you have a, a set of barriers, things that are, are used to protect people. And it like a, a, a slice of Swiss cheese, though, it's got a hole in it. 
and you bypass that and hopefully you've got another barrier that can protect people. And so in this case, the barrier was the safe. The barrier was the standard practice of, you know, using only the correct type of ammunition. The barrier was the armorer whose whole entire ass job was to set up a weapon to be used in the appropriate way. And then you had another barrier yet, which was the assistant director to make sure that the gun was set up in the correct way or completely cleared, whatever the case uh, may be. And they do this day in and day out. This is as standard practice for them as it is for, you know, someone working an office job to use a printer. I mean, they have uh, sets where people are firing several machine guns at once. They have people where gunfights are taking place all the time in these movies. And the majority of the time, nobody gets hurt. But when the dominoes are set up just so and they fall in just a certain way, well, that's when that's when things happen. Uh, so this guy, uh, Dave Halls, we'll start with him. Hold on, I've got to sneeze. That was a false alarm. If it comes back, I apologize. So this guy, Dave Halls, uh, he has been kind of known, or so it seems, that he's been kind of known as like the guy to get it done. When other assistant directors uh, quit, walk off of a set because corners are being cut, safety precautions aren't being met, he's the guy that you, you call and hire afterwards and say, hey, we need to get this done. Get in here. And he goes and he gets it done. And he cuts the corners they want to cut. And he ignores the, the safety precautions they want, want to uh, ignore. Uh, so he's not the foil for the production side of things that want to just get the stuff done. And he just kind of sides with them and goes, okay, we'll just get it done. Another problem with this set of rust is uh, the IATSE. Uh, now I, I wrote down what IATSE means. IATSE is a union. It is the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees. Now, they have just staged a walkout, a protest. I believe many of the factions of the IATSE are on strike right now. But there was one IATSE member who quoted uh, Dave Halls or was talking about Dave Halls and said he had been known to skirt safety meetings, skip safety protocols, and otherwise kind of haphazardly run the protection for the employees that were working on the set. And we'll talk a little bit more about their strike at the end. Armorer Hannah Gutierrez had only been an armorer for, I believe it was the last two years. She's very young. She's 21 or 19. She's a very young, young gal. And she had been, uh, what, what did she do? Previously on another set, one with Nicolas Cage, she had fired a gun without giving any warning and Nicolas Cage was uh, rumored to have said, you fucking blew out my eardrums, why don't you make an announcement or something along those lines? So some reckless behavior by... Uh, Hannah there. So it seems to it seems on the surface so far that Hannah Gutierrez, assistant uh, director David Halls are are kind of they missed steps in their particular jobs. Now, a lot of people have been saying Alec Baldwin is culpable. He was the one that fired the gun. 
I would have I would have fired uh, or I would have inspected my own gun prior to firing. Now, Alec Baldwin as, and yes, as an Alaskan, you know, we are taught rigorous gun safety up here. I'm not a huge gun guy, but Anthony is and he can tell you all kinds of stuff about gun safety. But Alec Baldwin, it was not his job to check the gun. In fact, the armorer, the assistant director, probably do not want untrained actors to be dicking around with the gun that they have specifically prepared with the uh, purposeful round given. Now, does that mean that Alec Baldwin is culpable is not culpable for this event? No, of course it doesn't mean he's an executive producer on the movie. So just as much as we say assistant director David Halls is uh, responsible for the safety on the set, so too is Alec Baldwin. That is his job to make sure that the set is safe as well. So that's kind of the the events, the story as we have it right now. New de- details will emerge. Anthony or myself will keep you guys updated as we as we hear and read and see more information about this. But I thought, well, this isn't the first time this has happened. And a lot of people online as well have seen the similarity to Brandon Lee, who passed in 1993 from an on-scene shooting from a a prop gun. And I pulled uh, some information from Wikipedia about this particular shooting uh, of Brandon Lee to give you some more information about that. But it got me thinking, this is an industry, just like uh, the oil industry, just like the mining industry, just like... um, whether you're, you're operating at a seaside port or at an airport, uh, there are inherent risks that are involved. And so, of course, there's going to be accidents, mishaps, injuries, and even death. So as macabre as this whole episode is or has been so far, I'm just, I'm just going to talk about different accidents that have happened on sets. But first with Brandon, Brandon Lee. So I pulled this from the Wikipedia Uh, So you'll have to excuse me. I'm going to read a little bit of this to you. So in the film shoot preceding the fatal scene, the prop gun, which was a real revolver, was loaded with improperly made dummy rounds improvised from live cartridges that had the powder charges removed by the special effects crew. So in close ups, the revolver would show normal looking ammunition. However, the crew neglected to remove the primers from the cartridges. And at some point before the fatal event, one of the rounds had been fired. Although there were no powder charges, the energy from the ignited primer was enough to separate the bullet from the casing and push it partway into the gun barrel, where it got stuck. A dangerous condition known as a squib load. During the fatal scene, which called for the revolver to be fired at Lee from a distance of three and a half to four and a half meters, it's about 12 to 15 feet, the dummy cartridges were replaced with blank rounds which contained a powder charge and the primer, but no solid bullet, allowing the gun to be fired with sound and flash effects without the risk of an actual projectile. However, the gun was not properly checked and cleared before the blank was fired, and so the dummy bullet that had gotten lodged in the barrel was then propelled forward by the blank's propellant and shot out the muzzle with almost the same force as if the round were live striking Lee in the abdomen and, you know, subsequently killing him. Brandon Lee's fiance even spoke out after this most recent death on the set of Rust, uh, Helena Hutchins passing. She said, there is no such thing as a prop gun. 
And many proponents are already talking about the use of CG. They're talking about, you know, stricter rules around it. But if you've ever worked anywhere, you know people are going to cut corners. People are going to find the, the fastest way, the quickest way. And especially in this age, and I've heard it repeated several times on the internet right now, especially in this age where movie deadlines are always being pushed closer and closer. There is an inherent need for things to get done quicker. Uh, it's inevitable that things like this are going to happen unless, you know, good rules are, are put in, put in place. And even then, you know, people will skirt the rules. I, I even read an article where they talked about it not being so cumbersome to break one of these rules because the penalties and the fines have not changed for decades. And so many studios are just willing to pay the fines rather than uh, change up their whole operation in order to get out their multi-million or billion dollar uh, movie on time. So some other ones, and, and I found uh, an article, uh, I can't remember where the article is from, but then I also went to the, Wiki, there's a whole Wikipedia page on this stuff. John Eric's Hexum, uh, he was cast as Phineas Bogg in the NBC Voyagers show in 1982. He was messing around with a prop gun, like he was dicking around on stage, and he fired a blank, and that, the, the, the force of that blank drove a piece of his skull into his brain, killing him. Uh, so it, it didn't give gruesome details, but I assume he was holding it to his head and pulled the trigger and killed himself, unfortunately. And, it, you know, if you are a gun owner or a parent, uh, <laughs> if you're a parent at all, have nothing to do with guns, but if you're a parent, um, you know, that's teaching children about guns, you teach them that they never want to point a loaded gun or a gun at all. Thank you. Uh, right while I was making that very impactful uh, point about parenting and, <laughs> and gun uh, lessons, I had to sneeze. That was that sneeze from earlier. That I, I might have another one coming. Hold on. What if I hold that... What if I hold my nostrils just like that? Then the, <laughs> then the sneeze won't come. Uh, oh, my gosh. That was a bad idea. Oh. Uh, instead of a sneeze, now I just <laughs> got a bunch of boogers in my throat. God dang it. All right. What was I talking about? Uh, children and gun safety. Never point a gun at something you don't intend to kill. Uh, that's a that's a good lesson. Um and of course, it's different for these movies because they are trying to to uh, denote some sense of realism. They're trying to denote some sense of gravity. And oftentimes, unfortunately, guns are a major part of many, many, many stories. OK, moving on. Victor Morrow and child actors Micah Din Lee, who's age seven years old, and Shin Yi Chin age six years old, on the set of The Twilight Zone, the movie, in 1982. So Victor Morrow, he played a guy who, I guess, went back in time as different people, perhaps? 
uh, who were not as privileged as he was in the future. So he could experience, you know, what it is to be uh, persecuted or, or something along those lines. I can't remember exactly what the premise is of his particular uh, spot in this movie. But he was back in uh, Vietnam. There was a helicopter hovering above them. There was a pyrotechnic explosion and the helicopter crashed and killed all three of those actors, Victor and the, the two children. Uh, there was a lawsuit. Was it a lawsuit? No, the, there was a pilot, the director, and maybe it was the pyrotechnics coordinator were all uh, acquitted of involuntary manslaughter in that particular case. Margaret Hamilton in 1939, who played the Wicked Witch of the West, she had a very significant burn to her face and her hands when some pyrotechnics were deployed too early. There was a trap door that had smoke coming up out of it in one of the scenes when she was doing a dramatic disappearance, I guess. It's been a long time since I've watched The Wizard of Oz. And then flames were supposed to appear afterwards, but the the pyrotechnics went too early before she had a chance to remove herself from the area, and she got a a pretty good uh, burn to her face and hands. So practical effects, like I said, they make a movie look great, but they can be very dangerous. And so... It's it's interesting to me in a very morbid way that you can have a movie like um, Rust here where I'm sure, you know, gunplay was not probably the primary component of this. And we're, we're probably never going to see this movie. This movie is probably not going to come out. I mean, unless unless it was in the final stages of production, but it's it's probably shut down. They probably called it a loss and said, well, we're not. We're not going to finish this movie. I mean, maybe they will. I don't know. People are people are weird. Industries are weird. Money is weird. But uh, it's it's a movie like this can have a fatality just because of some lackluster on set practices. And then a movie like Mad Max Fury Road can go off without a hitch. And that was hugely influenced by practical effects and filmed out in the desert where, you know, there's, there's definitely other opportunity for injury, whether it's dehydration or uh, a heat illness, or maybe at night, you know, it's a, a, a cold related, um, cold related injury or something along those lines. So it goes to show you, and again, this harkens back to my time spent in a safety industry, that if you are, are doing something that is considered regular or normal, you have a, a probably higher opportunity, higher chance, higher likelihood of becoming injured because you're not paying as much attention to it. It's normal. It's mundane. Your mind wanders. You maybe rely too much on muscle memory instead of purposeful thought whereas a scene like Mad Max in the desert there's all of these cars and vehicles working in tandem people swinging this way and that and so something that is maybe more outrageous like that everyone that's involved is going to pay a little bit more attention or something like that maybe maybe not um, like I said, there's a whole Wikipedia list of film and TV accidents. If I went over all of them, we would be here. <laughs> we'd be here for two days. Um, 
there's, you know, broken ribs, smashed fingers, animal attacks. There was one that a shark mauled someone to death, but I don't know how true that was. There was no citation on it. Heat illness, stuntmen who, who've been broken, debilitated, or killed in the line of work. Here's one from the movie Steel in 1979. A.J. Bakunas, uh, he died falling from Kincaid Towers in Lexington. And it's so messed up the way that he died too. So they, they in the falling scene, to protect the, the stuntman from, you know, obviously cracking their head and, and melting like an egg on the sidewalk, they have these giant airbags that they deploy. So he went up, he did the jump once, fine, from, it was like nine stories or something. He did the jump and he did it fine, but then he heard about another stuntman who had done that jump, not necessarily for a production, not necessarily for a movie, but had done that jump from a higher level. So for bragging rights, this man, AJ, went back up to do the jump again. The second time that he did it, he missed the airbag uh, no, he didn't miss the airbag. The airbag split and he was killed. And so, again, if you liken the airbag to the gun that uh, ended Helena Hutchins' life too soon, then the person who maintained the airbag would be at fault, right? They would be the last one to have hands on it. The person who inspected the airbag would notice that a steam, uh, a steam, a seam was popped or it was otherwise worn or mismanaged or, or whatever else, man, that's a, that's a hell of a job jumping off of a building and trusting something to catch you, catch you like that. Uh, gone in 60 seconds two, and this is an old one, 1989, this movie, I guess never came out. It was unfinished. The director, who apparently was also an actor, H.B. Uh, Halicki, was killed by a water tower that fell prematurely. So they set the water tower to fall up for fall for a scene, and it fell earlier than he had anticipated, and uh, and killed him. Uh, the Titanic in 1997 had a bunch of injuries. Like there was hypothermia injuries. I think that was even Kate Winslet. She refused to wear a wetsuit in her water scene. She also almost got her dress snagged in a hallway scene where they were running from water, which uh, could nearly have drowned her. Um, and then this is kind of fun. Kind of funny. I mean, it's funny now. 1997, man. Shoot, that was. 20, 25 years ago, right? Am I doing the math right on that? Yeah. 20, yeah, about 25 years ago. Uh, there were 80 cast and crew members that were hospitalized from eating the clam chowder who someone else had spiked with PCP. So it's a fun, fun Titanic fact. Use it at your next party there. Blade Runner 2049, a more recent uh, movie in 2017 it came out a construction worker was killed while dismantling a set I only included this one uh, to highlight that it's not just actors actresses crewmen stuntmen that are injured in these things it's also the people working behind the scenes uh, the list is huge well well you film these realistic looking scenes people that they're gonna get hurt if safety is not a priority on set, according to the Associated Press, between uh, uh, 1990 and 2016, at least 43 people 
have died on production sets in the U.S. Well, that's honestly the the place my mind is. I'm like, well, that's not a really high number. Like, if you compare it with other industries, it's not too bad. I mean, it's still a lot of people, but 43 people um, have died in that. What's that? 10, 20, 26 years. Okay, so my math was way off on that. No, it wasn't. My math was dead on. Uh, and 150 people had gotten uh, life-altering injuries as well. So in the aftermath of this fatality on Rust, when we talk about culpability, honestly, everyone that handled the gun before she was shot is culpable. Uh, and I know that even though it was not Alec Baldwin's Alec Baldwin's job uh, to to check the gun. I don't know. Maybe making uh, assuring him. Uh, are you sure? Did you check this? Did you look in the barrel? Did you did you uh, make sure it had the right rounds in it? Something, anything. Uh, and then definitely him as a producer and other producers on the movie are are absolutely culpable uh, for for her death. The this has also had ramifications to other movies as well. The rookie on ABC is removing blank firing prop guns and replacing them with airsoft guns. So they've said, okay, well, we're not even going to take the risk anymore. And I don't know. <laughs> I said that like the snake in Robin Hood, the risk anymore. We're not even going to take the risk anymore. And they're just getting rid of them. And I would, I would be surprised if other productions did not follow suit. There's also been several critics of prop guns, probably for a long time, but those critics are calling on them to be banned, uh, to make new rules and use CG effects, which, you know, they're not as good. A CG effect on a muzzle flare, on uh, the, the smoke from a barrel, whatever it is, is not as good as an actual gun. And it, I think, probably costs more. So we'll most likely see that that cost being a, a huge factor in production studios' decisions to do away with prop guns or not. So, yeah, uh, IATSE, we, we talked about them. They had just walked out like hours before. So the IATSE union went on a strike and the film crew had just walked off set to, they, they, they were protesting poor working conditions. They were working like 14 hour days, um, which, you know, a lot of people work 14 hour days, but they were also promised housing hotel rooms in New Mexico. So they'd have to make an hour commute uh, both to and from the set, which added on to the amount of time that they spent unable to you know, get a good amount of sleep and have a good amount of rest before they came back well rested uh, to the set. Um, payment, they had gone three weeks without a paycheck. So <laughs> Alec Baldwin, are you having are you having trouble clearing checks, my man? You need a you need a loan. Uh, so housing, uh, long commute payment, uh, 14 hour days, working conditions were not good. They were rushed on things, which you know, goes to show you that, hey, uh, cutting corners can be very, very cheap for a very long time. You can save a lot of money by taking tiny little shortcuts here and there for a long period of time. You might be able to do it for a year. You might be able to do it for five or a decade or two. But eventually, 
these practices will hurt someone. And like in the case of Alec Baldwin and, and Rust, uh, these cutting corners may end someone's life. So that's all I've got to say on the thing for now. If we do get more information, you know, as the investigation becomes clearer, as court proceedings take place, as settlements are distributed, and as rules are changed in Hollywood, we will let you know uh, when, when we know. Okay, and I don't want to end this podcast episode on that kind of note, so I want to talk about a couple other trailers that I've seen recently. Uh Again, both Netflix trailers. If you did not see, we posted it on our Facebook page or we shared a, shared a video from another Facebook page. Uh, Tiger King 2 is coming out here in, in three weeks. A little over three weeks, I think. It was November 22nd, I want to say. Uh, so if you, if you did not see Tiger King, go watch it. It's still on Netflix. Uh, it, it was such a weird moment in the pandemic especially in the early days and everyone was really involved in staying inside and keeping to themselves and socially distancing and isolating and quarantining and and the tiger king just kind of kept kept us all enraptured and and so i think at the very least if you watch the original first tiger king you owe it to tiger king number two to see it as well for all that it did for you and for me and for everyone else uh, <laughs> that got to watch Joe exotic, you know, date multiple meth heads and abuse tigers. And maybe we will find out, you know, where Carol Baskins buried her husband. I mean, maybe I feel like I got a sneeze coming on again, but I got one more trailer. I want to tell you about uh, the masters of the universe. Part two is coming out on November 23rd. It's the second part to the he man masters of the universe. Uh, trilogy, not trilogy. It's not a, tr well, I don't even know how long it is. It's a, it's a dual duology. Um, the reboot that Kevin Smith did that was so controversial because of, Oh God, I can't even remember her name, but she was heavily featured in the first part. And people were like, this isn't even a He-Man show. And then, Hey, spoilers for the first part of masters of the universe. He-Man is stabbed at the end of that first part. And they're like, they killed off He-Man. And Kevin Smith was like, we killed off fucking He-Man. And he was obviously doing it tongue in cheek because all of us knew that he was going to bring him back. For the second part. And boy did he bring him back. If you have not seen that trailer. It is so amazing. He-Man goes to summon the powers of Grayskull. But he doesn't have the sword. Because Skeletor stole that shit at the end of the first part. And he goes to summon the powers of Grayskull. Without the sword. He's like look the sword is just the conduit. I have the power. And he says I have the power. And he gets zapped. But he doesn't turn into He-Man. He turns into Savage. He man, and he's just ripped beyond belief. His hair is longer and he does like an anime fast moving teleport thing to punch Skeletor. Oh, my God, I got goosebumps. It looks so good. And there's kind of a cheesy line later on. He's talking to these people. He's like, find a safe place and we'll head toward Castle Grayskull or something. And he, they go, there is no safe place. He's like, yeah, there is behind me. So I'm very much looking forward to Masters of the Universe uh, part two. But those are my trailers, man. Talk about uh, some Cowboy Bebop, talk about Super Crooks, talk about Master of the Universe, and Tiger King 2, before the Nicolas Cage movie comes out. So, I mean, if you haven't seen part one, 
Uh, you should definitely check that out. And it's entertaining. It's garbage garbage television, but it's really a lot of fun. If you like this episode and you want to talk to me about any of these things, you want to talk about uh, Alec Baldwin killing people, you want to talk about you know the, the tragedy of Brandon Lee or any other injuries that maybe you thought were impactful to you, I'm, I'm on Beams, man. You can download the Beams app and we've got a, it's in our link tree. So if you, you know, click on this podcast episode, there should be a, a description that's got our link tree there. Um, you can do little voice recordings and we can have a little mini podcast together. Maybe I can even feature you on the show. Be super cool if you did that. Uh, but that's it for the Friday show. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, be sure to stay tuned for the OTE tomorrow on Saturday, Weekend Wire on Sunday, Monday Madness in the Culture Jack News Desk on Thursday. If you want to get in touch with the show, leave us a comment. You can get a hold of us at Culture Jack on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You can send us an email at culture.collective.x2 at gmail.com. If you've got an idea that you want featured on this show or you want me just to just to talk, we could be pen pals, I guess. Could be another <laughs> another option. I've got to end the show. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope you have a wonderful weekend. Cheers.